Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is June 8th. Happy Travel Tuesday. I hope you are traveling soon. I actually traveled today on Travel Tuesday. I've been up since 3 a.m. Eastern time because we had a super early flight down to Orlando. Wait times at the airport are crazy, so I made sure to get there two hours ahead of time. And of course, I went through TSA in about like seven minutes or less. So uh, such is life, but uh, had chance to uh, get some good breakfast in and everything. So uh, I am at Universal Studios Orlando in my room at Endless Summer Resort Dockside Inn and Suites. If you are familiar with Orlando at all, these are the new hotels for Universal, and they're located where the old water park Wet n Wild used to be. So a bit of a weird feeling for me as I spent most of my childhood summers going to that water park. But, you know, such is life. Things change. One big recent change here at Universal is no masks for vaccinated guests, although they're not requiring proof of vaccination upon entering, so it's sort of a free-for-all there. Uh, What I saw this morning, though, um, in the afternoon, was maybe about 5% of people around the park still wearing masks and a much bigger crowd than expected. That said, uh, wait times didn't appear to be too bad for a lot of the rides. The new Hagrid roller coaster in the Harry Potter land, uh, which is an incredible and thrilling ride, by the way. You have to ride that if you are a thrill seeker in any way. Uh, That had a posted wait time of 75 minutes, but it actually only took us about 40, 45 minutes to get through, so not bad at all. Felt like it was pretty much moving, and once you get in the inside queue line there, that air conditioning kicks on, and it feels so much better in this hot Florida sun. Uh, One thing that won't change, though, is the continued battle between the theme parks here in Orlando, uh, but more on that later. Coming up on the show today, as we always do, we'll talk what's trending in the travel industry, including major cruise news and some destination updates. And now joining me on the show today is Brooke McDonald, a writer and editor covering travel and theme parks for multiple outlets, including here, Travel Pulse. Brooke, welcome to the show. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. So happy to be here with you today, um, virtually. Uh, I am a full-time writer, editor. I'm the national content director for Better, a Chicago-based magazine and website, and Marin Magazine, which is a Bay Area-based magazine and website. And I also um, predominantly cover Disney content for a bunch of different outlets um, like Travel Pulse and Attractions Magazine, Parents Magazine, SimpleMost.com, and some other places. Um, and I, I live in Chicago. I've got two sons who like to come to Disney with me all the time. And uh, we are actually down here right now. So it's great to great to be talking to you. Absolutely. Yeah, that is great. Brooke is currently at Walt Disney World, like she said, uh, bouncing around from a few different hotels, which is kind of exciting. Uh, it's perfect timing with me here at Universal. So she and I will discuss the theme park wars or the, the battle between Disney Universal and the, as they uh, try to outdo each other, uh, which is just a, a huge win for the consumer, obviously, uh, as well as, you know, we'll mention some other theme parks out there that should be on Traveler's Radar, too. But first, as we do for every show, in case this is your first time listening, let's dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. We begin with big cruise news. Once again, seemingly every week, there's something major happening in the cruise industry. And this time, it's really exciting stuff. We have actual release dates, summer schedules out of U.S. ports. It's, It's happening, people. Finally here. Norwegian, Carnival, Royal Caribbean, MSC, they all released updated summer schedules from U.S. ports. Uh, But the trick side of that is... um, There's some debate still going on with the vaccination requirements with this. Royal Caribbean came out and said that they will not have a vaccination requirement for Texas and Florida cruises. Uh, They are just recommending that passengers be vaccinated. 
Although Carnival came out on Monday and said that guests, guests will need to be vaccinated uh, with Carnival Cruise Line President Christine Duffy saying that the current CDC requirements for cruising with a guest base that is unvaccinated will make it very difficult to deliver the experience our guests expect, especially given the large number of families with younger children who sail with us. As a result, our alternative is to operate our ships from U.S. from the U.S. during the month of July with vaccinated guests. But then Tuesday happened and throwing another wrinkle into all of this, um, uh, the Texas governor banned companies from requiring proof of vaccination, similar to what Florida did. And in response to this, Carnival had to issue a statement because uh, Carnival's first cruises out of July were going to be in Galveston, Texas. So Carnival came out and said, quote, we are evaluating the legislation recently signed into law in Texas regarding vaccine information. The law provides exceptions for when a business is implementing COVID protocols in accordance with federal law, which is consistent with our plans to comply with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's guidelines, end quote. So a lot going on here, Brooke. The vaccination requirement debate for cruising gets more interesting by the day. So do you think it will hinder the cruise industry as it tries to rebound? I'd love to know your perspective on this, both as a regular traveler and as a mom of two. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, super excited to see cruising on the horizon again, finally. Um, I personally am a big fan of requiring all who can be vaccinated to do so before sailing. Um, I think there's so much pent up demand for a return to cruising that I do think implementing more stringent safeguards isn't going to keep cruises from booking. Um, it kind of, I mean, quite the opposite, really, as we heard Carnival say, it might make for the best guest experience if it helps ease the minds of travelers minimizes the potential for an outbreak and allows them to provide a more quote unquote normal experience. Um, but of course those, it, I suppose it depends the real question. And this is maybe a question for you. I mean, how significant do you think, um, do you think that the federal guideline component will be a way to get around uh, the restrictions from the Florida and Texas governors? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting situation here because you, you got to think that, you know, the CDC and the federal law over here would have more say than what the states are going to do. But then we saw what Royal Caribbean did and came out and um, sort of reversed, you know, the policy. They they just came out and said it's a recommendation now. It's not going to be a requirement uh, for, for the specific uh, Royal Caribbean lines there. So although the um, uh, Michael Bailey, the Royal Caribbean international president and CEO, did say last Friday that um, even having dropped the vaccination requirement in those two states that uh, 90% of all vacationers booking with Royal Caribbean are either vaccinated or planning to get vaccinated in time for their cruise. So I think cruise lines know majority of their first wave, at least of passengers are going to be vaccinated. And it did, you know, it did, it's, it remains to be seen exactly how long this is going to be a debate or how long, you know, when we get into January of 2022, are, are we even going to have to worry about any sort of COVID protocols and stuff? We just don't know yet. So Cruise lines are going to have stricter protocols in place than that of airports and hotels. I mean, they just simply have to. They can't afford to have any illness outbreak that would be detrimental to their current reputation and public perception, you know, by many out there. So I think they're going to be a much safer way to travel um, in the beginning here. And once they finally get going and, you know, the hope is that it, there there is no negative press on that. Right, exactly. The last thing the cruising industry needs is an outbreak on an early sailing. And, you know, we know that just testing can't catch every case because of timing. So personally, I'm, I'm ready to cruise again. Um, I would feel more comfortable sailing with the vaccination requirement in place because I have two kids under 12. Um, so I'd prefer that all the guests who can be vaccinated are in order to help protect 
those kiddos who can't be. Um, but it does sound like most people won't be planning on getting on a cruise ship without that vaccine if they can get one. So um, I think you're right that it's probably going to be one of the safest places, safest ways to travel once it gets going again. Definitely. So over in air travel news, the airlines are asking the feds to relax COVID-19 travel restrictions. Now, no travel restrictions have been removed yet. Although airline officials hope that July 4th will be the day of an official announcement that is forthcoming uh, or by July 4th, should I say, but, uh, but September when that mask mandate is due to be reviewed again and hopefully, you know, it ends in September there this is much more likely. Also, airlines are, are pressuring governments to reopen the U.S. and U.K. corridor. So leaders from the American Airlines, British Airways, Delta Airlines, JetBlue, United Airline, Airlines, and Virgin Atlantic uh, joined airport officials and other a- aviation CEOs um, over for the G7 meeting to push for the reopening of U.S. and U.K. travel corridor. You know, we had good news about other places in uh, Europe opening, and we'll touch on that in a bit. But I think, you know, with U.S. and U.K., that, you know, the really trying to get that going. And it just kind of seemed like, you know, there's a hiccup there and it's a delay in, in getting, you know, the UK to really go forward and, and reopen to allow that because it will, it will help, you know, all of travel, the travel industry and everything. So, you know, with asking, you know, to relax these COVID-19 restrictions, I mean, Brooke, you've been on a bunch of flights in the last year and you've traveled quite a bit. So, I mean, have, have you felt safe while flying both in the airports and uh, on the planes? I have. Um, yes, I have flown, I think it's nearly 30 times since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and it definitely, yes, I've been on a plane um, a couple of trips a month um, since July, actually, um, since Walt Disney World reopened. So um, it's been an evolving experience. Um, now that I'm fully vaccinated, I'd say I do feel fully comfortable flying um, alone, that is without my kids. Um, I'll say the lack of mask enforcement along, especially in the early days, you know, a lot of noses hanging out, that kind of stuff um, could get uncomfortable. Um, And, you know, the whole, there's the eating and drinking component when masks come off and it's hard when you're, you know, these planes are very full and it's hard when you're right next to somebody to not think about it. Um, We've learned a lot about how good the air filtration systems are and that flying does seem to be quite safe. I haven't read, we, none of us have read much about, you know, any issues, you know, originating on flights. So I think, um, yeah, I certainly think the airplane shouldn't be the holdup for, (laughs) for opening these corridors and resuming international travel. I'm, I'm with you all the way. I felt safe on, on the number of flights that I've been on. I, I fully believe that the entire world needs to open up. It'll really benefit Uh, the travel industry. A recent report from the U.S. Travel Association found that if international travel remains restricted, it would cost the American economy $325 billion in total losses and 1.1 million jobs by the end of 2021. So we definitely need the world to open up, but we are getting more and more uh, restrictions lifted in areas and reopening dates announced for places in Europe. And this is exciting news. So in, in the destination news, ho- just recently, Hawaii uh, announced a plan to lift all travel restrictions once vaccination rates rise. Once that rate reaches 60%, the safe travel program that they have in place will accept vaccination cards from anywhere on the mainland. And once it gets to 70%, all travel restrictions will be lifted and the safe travels program will be terminated, which is going to be great for Hawaii when they can fully get that up there. Uh, will really help their tourism industry. A lot of people from California are still going to 
um, Hawaii right there. I know majority of people I talked to when I was in Hawaii a couple weeks ago, they were all from California. Um, and speaking of California, they're going to fully reopen on June 15th. They've already kind of reopened in, in, in most ways, but uh, they, they set a hard date of June 15th when it's fully lifted and everything there. Uh, Spain opened up to tourism on Monday, June 7th. France will open up tomorrow, June 9th. And we just learned that Ireland will open to tourism uh, July 19th. So now Canada is also reportedly uh, preparing to ease border restrictions for fully vaccinated travelers. That would be a big boost to tourism for Canada as well as the United States to get those borders fully open. So it's going to be a busy summer worldwide, uh, busier than many expected, maybe, you know, three to six months ago. So that's, you know, really good news. So uh, Brooke, I'd love to get your thoughts. Where do you think people will be traveling most this summer uh, domestically and internationally? Gosh, yeah. Well, I think um, in terms of the trends and where people are going, um, you know, we did see people traveling last summer um, and just through over the course of the past year, it's been a big outdoors focus, you know, road trips, national parks, hiking and all that sort of stuff. I think, you know, there it wasn't a normal ski season, but people, you know, skiing was open and happening last year. So I think um, we're going to see people excited to do things in in crowds now that they're vaccinated again and go to the places that they really couldn't go last year. So I think that that will probably be the biggest shift, um, you know, museums, um, baseball games, uh, theme parks, um, you know, every uh, Disneyland and Anaheim has been closed for more than a year. And now that that's reopened and reopens to out of state guests on June 15th, um, people from out West who typically go there rather than Walt Disney world are going to be really excited to get back into those theme parks. Yes. And Universal Studios Hollywood too reopening and going to go to full capacity. Uh, I was just reading the other day that they're preparing to hire like 2000 more people to, to prepare for that uh, fully uh, reopening there, which is really exciting. So yeah, a lot of outdoor stuff too. I mean, road trips, like you said, are huge. We had a recent uh, report came in on, on uh, road trip numbers were higher this year than all of 2019 for uh, Memorial Day weekend time. So that is not surprising at all to me that a lot of people opted to take the road instead of the skies over Memorial Day weekend. Although we did set pandemic era um, record numbers for Memorial Day weekend uh, travel through the air as well. So uh, travel is, is really picking back up this summer as uh, that was kind of the theme of last week's show on the podcast. If you missed it, go check it out. Um, that, that pretty much wraps up what's been trending in travel uh, this past week. Any additional thoughts, drop me an email podcast at travelpulse.com. Com. So now I want to dive into the theme of this week's show is on theme parks. We've touched on it a little bit. Uh, Brooke, you're at Disney. I'm at Universal, which just changed its mask policy uh, recently. So I got to ask, uh, how are things going? I know Disney altered its mask policy a little bit, but it didn't fully lift it like Universal has. So um, how are things looking at Disney? Uh, when do you think they will drop the mask? Because I think ever since Universal did, many are wondering when Disney will do it and how it might impact capacity levels. Yeah, so um, I guess we should talk about the difference between um, what's going on at Disney and Universal right now in terms of masks. Um, at Walt Disney World, guests are now able to remove masks outdoors, um, but do need to keep them on in attraction queues and also um, indoors. So that's anywhere you know from hotel lobbies to indoor ride queues and going to and from their table in a restaurant, things like that. And at Universal, um, it's there's basically no mask requirements anywhere. Is that is that what it's looking like over there, Eric? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's was I got here. I got into the park around like ten thirty this morning and uh, walked around, hit both Islands of Adventure and Universal Studios. And I would say 
five percent or less of people are still wearing masks. Honestly, I was a little surprised at how many kids were not wearing masks. I thought I would see a little bit more there, but you know, to each their own, I guess it's uh, they're not really enforcing things from what I've seen there. Um, some of the people I did see wearing masks didn't have it over their noses, so I thought, what was the point? But I digress to each their own. That is them. I'm not going to bother them of their choice and what they want to do. But uh, I did not wear a mask because I'm, I'm fully vaccinated and uh, they're not, you know, checking any requirement. They're not, you know, asking, hey, show your COVID card or anything like that. They just let you in. Some employees are wearing them. Some employees are not. So it just kind of depends on where you are. If you're all if they're inside, they're all wearing it there and they're all doing a great job of that. So I think, you know, the, the universal staff and I was at Disney back in March, you know, and Disney staff was doing a great job of all that as well. So, you know, the staff is handling things well. It's just, you know, how are people reacting to it? And it was pretty crowded throughout Universal. So I would say if you're thinking about, you know, doing theme parks, you know, make sure you, you know, uh, go ahead and book now and, and and get going with it because I think it's only going to continue to uh, increase on capacity there. Especially with Universal's yeah. got more hotels opening up later this summer too. Yeah, and you did. That's an important point. You mentioned um, the kids component there. And uh, so we should specify that Universal says that you can remove, that fully vaccinated guests can remove masks um, in indoors. I think that was the specification there. And Disney does allow all guests to remove masks outdoors um, when not in those ride queues like we talked about. Um, and so when you asked, you know, how, when Disney might lift their indoor mask requirement, I have to imagine that they're being really thoughtful about dropping it um, just because they know how many of their guests are children under 12 who can't be vaccinated. Um, and, you know, it creates interesting, <laughs> in interesting issues where, you know, who do you, where does the enforcement come in? Um, a parent can have their mask removed, but if a child is clearly under 12, then should they be told to put a mask back on? Um, it sounds like you're not seeing that too much at Universal, but yeah, it's a really tricky situation. So I think Disney is, you know, is being really thoughtful about it and just as they have been all along in terms of easing restrictions. So I've felt safe um, being here since day one of reopening. And I do think I will when they, as they continue to make changes. Definitely. And, and I know you'll be back down there uh, once those changes are fully made because you are yeah. a, a frequent Disney uh, traveler there, which is, you know, and I think too, Disney is watching how things are going in Universal because that's what Universal did when Disney first opened back up. They, you know, they kind of watch each other and I don't want to say copy each other because I don't think that is an accurate statement, but, you know, they play off of one another and, and, and go from there just as, you know, hotels do, just as cruise lines do. It's, it's all part of the industry um, play there. Absolutely. So Disney versus Universal, we're talking about these two, you know, these two have been going at it for a while um, in fun ways. You know, as I said earlier, the consumer is the winner of all of it because there's so much fun things to do at both places. I'm a huge fan of doing both in one trip if you can. Uh, that's all what I always recommend to people. So, but in the battle between the two, where do you see this battle going over the next few years? You know, Disney has its big anniversary coming up later this year and Universal's working on a brand new theme park. They've just got a new roller coaster coming out tomorrow. That is what I'm in here in town for, the Jurassic World Velocicoaster. Very excited about it. Walked by it earlier today. Can't can't wait to ride it. Um, so it's currently, it's, you know, it's certainly a head-to-head -head theme park showdown that will continue to uh, rage on. Yeah, well, as you said, I mean, guests will definitely be the big winners in any so-called battle between these theme park giants. Um, you'll hear it regularly claimed that you know, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter played a role in bringing us Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disney. Um, Disney's been criticized for being slower to finish new attractions during the pandemic, particularly in the face of 
the Jurassic World Velocicoaster, um, which, as you mentioned, opens tomorrow. Um, Wednesday, but, yeah. Or Thursday. It opens oh, sorry, June 10th. Opens yeah, Thursday. Yeah. Opens Thursday. Just, That's right. Yeah. We get a little sneak <laughs> peek. Brooke, Brooke and I okay. get a little sneak peek of it uh, tomorrow. So if you want to learn more about that ride and everything, you're going to want to check out our content at TravelPulse.com and Brooke's content as well. So, yes. Continue. Yes. Sorry. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we should remember that 2019 and 2020, uh, did bring us to star Wars galaxy's edge lands. Um, Disney's arguably most ambitious attraction ever in star Wars rise of the resistance. Uh, we had Mickey and Minnie's runaway railway, which opened right before the pandemic. People are still, you know, just getting their first chances to get down here and ride that. And that one's coming at Disneyland too in 2023. And a lot on the horizon um, with the 50th anniversary, we've got Remy's Ratatouille Adventure um, and Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind are both coming to Epcot. A new fireworks, nighttime spectacular, Harmonious is coming. Um, Tron is coming to the Magic Kingdom. Uh, there are updates going on all over the place. And then over at Universal, as you say, an entire new park um, is under construction. So. I think we're going to just see a lot more growth now. Um, the demand is there. And uh, yeah, Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary is an 18-month celebration that starts October 1st. And I think we really have only kind of seen a taste of what that celebration will bring in real time. Right, yeah. So much exciting stuff coming up for Disney. And then, you know, with the new park at Universal, I think there's just so much speculation around that too for the epic universe as it will be called which i'm very excited about um some of the things you know there's nothing has been finalized of what's actually going to be there although i think we can bank on uh, like a super nintendo world just because universal does have that out in japan and that was a big hit over there um if you haven't seen any of the video stuff for that i highly recommend just googling that it is pretty cool over there in japan so i'm excited for what that could potentially bring here in um orlando and what universal does for that other stuff, uh, anything you, I would love to get your thoughts on what you hope to see or what you think you might see at Epic Universe. Any thoughts? Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope that we see more Harry Potter. Um, and I know there was, I believe there was early talk about something fantastic beasts, but then, um, I think maybe I heard that that might not be happening anymore. So when I heard that that was maybe up in the air, um, I do still hope there's Harry Potter. Um, and I don't know. I wonder, um, the Super Nintendo World. I mean, that's that's the big one. Um, everybody, who, <laughs> everybody who grew up on Nintendo, everybody who has kids who are playing it now, um, seeing those ren seeing the way that when you looked at the side by side renderings of the land in Japan and then the real thing, it was like you couldn't tell what was drawing and what was reality. It's unbelievable. Right. Yeah. And you know, I'm a huge Mario fan, so I really hope that they bring that and an element in too. And you know, there's so much in the Harry Potter world world you know that they could too hopefully they do something on fantastic beasts just because they've got new movies coming out for that so they could there's a lot to play up to there um just kind of walking around too in some of the shops you've got um they have universal has like trolls merchandise available and how to train your dragon merchandise available too. secret life uh, the secret life of pets so there's a lot of cool family stuff um kids related things too that they could draw from that potentially um, which would be really cool. I would love some some sort of ride, dragon ride, you know, and from the How to Train Your Dragon uh, movie franchise would be really cool. Um, I know a lot of my nieces really love the uh, Trolls movies. Uh, I, I do too. I will totally admit that those movies are great. Um, <laughs> so anything with with Trolls there too would be would be pretty cool too. 
And I'm just gonna put this out into the universe and or into the epic universe. Um, yeah. I with with Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, the Star Wars themed hotel coming. I'm just gonna say, if we want to keep this battle raging on, Universal, give us a Harry Potter hotel. That would be like mind blowingly awesome. If right. Somehow could incorporate that in. I mean, that just seems like the logical next mm-hmm. step in the Harry Potter world. So maybe they don't do you know, much Harry Potter stuff at it because you do have Diagon Alley and Hogsmeade and Hogsworts and everything at Islands of Adventure and Universal Studios. And you can ride the train, which is so much, so much fun. But, you know, an actual Harry Potter related hotel, maybe you could stay at some sort of castle or something. I don't know. That'd be, that'd be pretty sweet. That would be pretty sweet. Can you imagine? And you could have, you know, four wings themed to the different houses. It would be so cool. Oh, that would be cool. Team Hufflepuff (laughs) over here. I'm not afraid to admit that. Other end. No. (laughs) All right. I, you know, I pegged you as a Gryffindor, but uh, okay, I see it. All right. <laughs> but one, one knock I do here on theme parks a lot in, uh, is that it's just too expensive. You know, some people love to just throw that out there right away whenever I mention I'm going to Disney or Universal or anything like that. I mean, I grew up going to Orlando uh, every summer and that, you know, my parents had a timeshare here. So it's Orlando's like, you know, summer home for me. It's very nostalgic for me too. So I love it here. But, you know, a lot of people, when I tell them I'm doing that, they're like, oh, it's so expensive. And uh, so what are your thoughts as kind of a theme park expert here, Disney expert, um, about any money saving tips when it comes to a theme park vacation? Uh, Yeah, it's a tough one. It's, I mean, there's no way around it. It's not cheap. (laughs) That's for sure. But I don't know if we can call it quote unquote, too expensive when the parks continue to be at capacity. Um, you know, I, I want, I think in some ways the prices are responding to demand. Um, you mentioned a timeshare growing up. Um, I will say in terms of money saving tips, um, becoming Disney vacation club members was the best decision for our family. Um, if you visit annually or even every other year and like to stay on property, um, you, you reach your break even point. It, relatively quickly. So that was, that's something that we did that um, we've really, really, really enjoyed. Um, and being a Disney vacation club member, um, we also, because we come down so much have annual passes. So that has been kind of a personal money saving tip and also kind of a hot topic now um, over at Disneyland uh, because they have quote unquote sunset their annual pass program. That's what they're calling it. Um, And we are waiting to see what they will bring out. Instead, they've said that there will be possibly some sort of a membership program that they roll out as a replacement. Um, They're looking at trying to strike a balance between making somewhat regular park visits attainable for locals, but also making sure that they control capacity and make it an enjoyable experience for everyone. Um, I think if it gets too affordable, then there are just crowd issues all the time. And the, you know, traveling vacationing families might not feel like they're getting their money's worth. Um, so it's, it's an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting debate. How about, how, do, how does your family manage to make trips down to the parks? Yeah, I think my best money saving tip is to use a travel advisor and they can help guide you in multiple ways and help maximize your trip of what you really want to get the most out of when it comes to theme parks here in Orlando, or if you're venturing out uh, West California, or if you, uh, once, you know, more restrictions get lifted up, if you want to venture out to the various parks in Japan or Paris and um, or Shanghai. So there's a lot of cool theme parks out in the world there. So uh, I, I do kind of have to agree with you there, but you know, you, you made a good point about uh, it's probably it's not too expensive because we are seeing, you know, 
the demand is there and people are showing up. So the capacity is, you know, keep pushing that. So um, any tips for families visiting theme parks as you, you travel often with your kids to these theme parks? I know you mostly go to Disney, but you have taken your boys to Universal as well. So is there a best time of year to visit? Yeah. So, well, I will say it's even pre-pandemic and I'm kind of expecting it um, as we have all of this pent up demand uh, post-pandemic, there really isn't a slow season anymore. Um, the times that used to be slow, uh, the parks have continued to bring in new offerings that are enticing people to come down. So the seasonal um, food and wine festivals or, you know, the flower and garden festivals and things like that at Epcot, um, Universal does a Mardi Gras festival and they do Halloween, Halloween horror, nights. horror nights is a big one. <laughs> yeah. um, so it depends on what, you know, what your interest is. So I would say in terms of the best times for families, it's looking at, you know, school vacations. Do you want that to play into it? Um, and what are you interested in? Do you want to see those Christmas decorations on main street? Do you want to do, you know, dress up in costume and do the Halloween stuff? If you want it to be super scary, you're going to want to go to universal. If you want it to be kind of a little tamer for kids, then you can do uh, Disney for Halloween. So um, there's not a bad time to go anymore, truly. Um, and I think it's kind of, in some ways, it's a little bit freeing to know that there's sort of the demand is always there. So don't worry about finding a slow season. Just choose the time that is kind of most appealing to your family. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's always something going on at both of these theme parks here. Um, beyond Unibol, beyond Universal and Disney, though, I think we've touched on them a great deal. They are great parks. But what are some other worthwhile theme parks uh, that people should put on their travel lists? So close to home. Um, I mean, I grew up with Six Flags Great America nearby. Um, I think a lot of people have a, a Six Flags within striking distance. Um, and I, an aspirational park that I've been kind of keeping my eye on that I would like to go to, um, Knott's Berry Farm in Southern California. Um, they, they did kind of some innovative things during the pandemic when they weren't able to open as a theme park. Um, and I've just been keeping an eye on that and it looks like a really fun place to go and they're celebrating their hundredth anniversary this year. So that's one that I've been interested to check out. How about you, Eric? Oh, that is exciting. Yeah. I've heard a lot of great things about that one too. Six Flags as well. There's, there's one in drivable distance from majority of people out in the U S so there's um, a lot of fun rides at the various ones and, and themed rides too, if you're superhero fans out there as well. Um, but also Cedar Point was a big one for me. Uh, I love that. I have uh, family in Michigan, so I'd go visit them. And then we drive down to Ohio just to, just to go to uh, Cedar Point. So that's a really fun one. And um, one that's on my list that I've yet to go to that I want to go to some, eventually, it's, I'm going to get there, is uh, Hershey Park. So I would love to, to get out there in Hershey and uh, let my inner child run wild with uh, lots and lots of chocolate. Yes. Oh, and we should mention Legoland too. Um, there's, there are Legolands all over the place um, that all are, look, the ones I haven't been to look fantastic. Um, a new one in New York. Uh, so yeah, that's, a, and then there's a new land that opened at um, Legoland Windsor. So, um, and out in California as well. Yes. So many fun theme parks out there. If you have a favorite that we didn't mention, or just one that you think should get a little bit more love, drop me an email podcast at travelpulse.com. That is our show today. Thank you, uh, Brooke, so much for joining. Tell our listeners uh, how they can get in touch with you. Where can they follow you on uh, social media? Yeah, thank you. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm very active on both of those at Brooke with an E G McDonald. 
And uh, I try, like I said, I, I write for a lot of different outlets, but I try to share my stories there. So that's the best place to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining, Brooke. Thanks, Eric. Thanks again to Brooke for joining the show today. Had a great time talking theme parks. Big fan of theme parks around the world. Um, if you'd like to be on the show or have any thoughts or feedback about today's show or any show at all, podcast at travelpulse.com is the email. Reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Have a great week.